I'm sorry. I, that was terribly wrong. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't condone right wing rhetoric. This is a safe space. I just need to have this in recording. <laughs> Howdy, howdy, folks, and welcome back to another episode of So Stereotypical. Where us two media creators discuss LGBTQ plus politics issues and whatever else we feel like. I'm Alexander Prevost. And I am Noah Dayheim. And today we're going to be discussing the feature-length film, the iconic, Oscar-nominated, Best Picture-nominated, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I am so excited about this one. What a great film. So good. So much passion and, oh my God, the whole cast put quite literally everything into that film. The Daniels put the Genesis into that film. It was an absolute masterpiece. Like, it fucking slaps. Absolutely slaps. It is absolutely amazing. So before we get into that, make sure to follow us on social media. I am on Instagram at Noah Dayheim. That's at N-O-A-H-D-A-H-E-I-M. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Alexander Prevost. uh, Alexander P-R-V-S-T, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R, P-R-V-S-T. And make sure to follow the podcast at SoStereotypical underscore pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Now, into the episode. All right. Let's talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. Where do we even begin with this film? Like, Well, let's start with the synopsis for those. Uh, spoiler alert, this episode of So Stereotypical is going to contain spoilers. So if you have not seen spoilers. everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, too bad. Uh, keep listening to the podcast because uh, <laughs> we... We have a lot to say about it. But uh, Alexander, can you give us a brief synopsis of what Everything Everywhere All at Once is about? Yeah. So the film takes place in, we don't know where, um, at a failing laundromat uh, uh, owned by the uh, Quan Wang family, uh, by Evelyn Quan Wang and Wayman Quan Wang. Um, They are currently hosting, at the time of the film, a Chinese New Year's party uh, that evening at their... um, their laundromat, which also doubles as their apartment. They also uh, have uh, Gong Gong, who is uh, um, Evelyn's, who is Evelyn's father, um, Wayman's father-in-law, who is from China, who is currently living with them. Very traditional, kind of unaccepting, you know, you know, the the problem grandparent. And we also have Joy, who is Evelyn and Wayman's daughter. She was, during the film, a lot of the storylines around her center around her queerness, her openly gay relationship with Becky, her girlfriend. Um, The film kind of starts as like a, you know, family conflict story. You know, the laundromat's getting audited. And then suddenly Wayman has a random shift in personality in an elevator. And we realize that an evil creature entity from the multiverse named Jobu Tabaki is trying to find Evelyn and kill her. And so begins this incredible journey throughout the film of multiverse hopping, of fighting bad guys, learning that Jobu Tabaki was actually a manifestation of joy across all multiverses, that joy exists in every reality, everywhere, all at once. And the film, I mean, the end of the film, you know, we learned that, you know, Joy has placed everything in the possible reality into an everything Babel, a bagel, Babel, Bagel, that's a new word, Babel, (laughs) 
I support and read the Bible every weekend. Me and my three wives. You do keep switching into some sort of Midwestern accent almost every episode now. It's, listen, listen, I just, I'm an impressionist. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't heard my Mickey Mouse impression, God, Noah, oh my God. Jesus, oh, that is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Oh, I can't Mickey Mouse here. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Anyways, um, so the end of the film, we find out that Joy has put everything in the known existing universe onto an everything bagel. It collapsed in on itself and we realize that, you know, nothing matters and that Joy wasn't actually looking for Evelyn, this specific version of Evelyn in the multiverse, you know, to kill her, but rather to find someone who was so miserable and down on their life that understands the pain and suffering that Joy has, has just feels across all the multiverses that, you know, she can never live up to the potential of her mother, that she is a failure, that she is, you know, you know, nothing matters. And so the end of the film, Joy learns through Waymond and her experiences with, or not Joy, uh, Evelyn learns through her experiences with Waymond and uh, Joy to choose kindness and to fight by not necessarily with violence, but meeting other people's needs and providing love and comfort and joy. And that in all the randomness of the multiverses, the fact that nothing matters means that we can choose anything. That truly the end core message of the film is even though we only have a few specks of time that make actual sense, it matters most that we just choose the ones we love and that we are free to just be. It is a a, a quintessential optimistic nihilism perspective. And there's just, it's so beautiful. I, yeah. You said, you said brief synopsis and I said lies, you, bitch. You threw I, I so much out there in so I many can't. big words. I can't. So I, many big words. I can't. So another important thing to start with is, of course, the cast and crew, my bread and butter, uh, as it is. So Evelyn Wang is played by Michelle Yeoh. Joy. Mother. Mother. She's so iconic. I I love Michelle Yeoh. Can I just say that right now? I fucking stand. Like, I've been standing her forever. When she was in Crazy Rich Asians, I lost my shit. And now, like... And then she's gonna be in Wicked, you know. I just love Michelle Yeoh. Can I just, can I just fucking? Oh yeah, say that, no, please? she is extremely talented. Mother, should we stand? We stand. Okay, continue. Sorry, I just want. To- <laughs> all good, all good. Um, okay, so next up on the roster, we got Joy, who is played by Stephanie Shu, and then you have Wayman, who is played by Ki Hee Wong. And then you have Gong Gong, the grandpa, who is played by James Hong. Those are the four, I would say the four most important characters throughout the whole entire movie that is up for debate. And then you have the directors and the writers of the movie, which collectively are known as the Daniels. That is Dan Kwan and Daniel Schneinert. They have worked on a whole bunch of films together, which is amazing. They worked on a variety of films from Swiss Army Man to Everything Everywhere All at Once. They also worked on, I think the first project that they worked on together was the music video for, and get this, Alexander, Turn Down for What? Really? (laughs) 
Really. And it's actually a lot of the uh, crew. So it was the director's editor and cinematographer all worked on that music video together. I think that was back in 2014. Wow. If I'm right. Um, what a throwback. What a throwback. I know. It, it just kind of, uh, yeah, kind of just threw me back. Insane. When, um, Insanity right there. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, we have the art director, Amelia Brooke, the cinematographer, Larkin Seipel, who, and this will make so much sense for if you have seen the movie. He was also the cinematographer for Childish Gambino's This Is America music video. Fucking incredible song. Incredible, uh, incredible music song. Video. That music video ties mm. so well together with everything everywhere all at once. And you can really see um, Larkin's... Um, stylistic choices being put together uh just all in all so good um and then the editor who gets so much kudos for this uh paul rogers just the editing on this uh as an editor myself i was just like how the hell did he do this bringing all of it together uh, specifically the director art director cinematographer and editor working together as a group in order to bring the artistic style to life like this is not a movie that you see every day this is not a style that you see every day they definitely they took a risk and it worked for them. I, cu- I couldn't see this movie, the style of this movie, be put in any other way. I couldn't see it be um, taken to another genre or taken into any other film. And it just worked so good. And I, I think the only way I can describe it is just chaos. It is the only time so I have chaotic. seen chaos actually work out in a film work out so yeah 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 well i I think the beauty of everything everywhere all at once is that it really leans into absurdism like there's like and for our viewers that aren't familiar with that term like you know absurdism as a genre or a film technique is utilizing like the strangest things you could possibly imagine are things that just make no sense to convey a deep and meaningful story. And the film, and I think that kind of leans into the film's narrative about nothing making sense. The optimistic nihilism of the film. The fact that, like, you know, there's literal hot dog fingers in another universe. Like, it, it, like hot dog fingers and that a romantic ritual between two people usually ends with ketchup and mustard all over their hands. The fact that like, you know, or they'll slip down to the little details in the film with like Wayman who puts, you know, googly eyes on little things, rocks <laughs> on bags full of laundry or, you know, things like, you know, the outfit choices that Jobu Tapaki wears, like from like really high fashion couture, but also campy, pop star outfits to Elvis outfits to golfer outfits. You know, it's just, it makes no sense, but that's kind of the point of the film. It's supposed to overwhelm you, your senses, because that's what it would supposedly feel like being someone who can experience all the multiverses all at once. And the the absurdism of, and, and it's like you said, like the chaos of the film really works to the advantage of its heart. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. It, and it, it works 
specifically with the title of the movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. You have everything being thrown at you on the screen. You have these uh, editing sequences that literally flash every quarter of a second um, into dizzying. another universe. So it's, dizzying. It's very, it's exhausting watching it and actually understanding it. And um, uh, like my favorite, uh, my favorite one of those flashes to another universe is actually where uh, Jobu is picking just stuff from other universes, like showing Evelyn that nothing is real, nothing matters. And in one of those things that she holds for a split second is an Oscar. It, 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 you, have, you have to be looking for it. But if you pause it right at the perfect frame, you see her holding an Oscar. And foreshadowing. It, it, foreshadowing, exactly. Is, is uh, everything foresh- ever all at once meta? Is it meta? Did okay, it predict the I, future? I fully believe that they are going to wipe the floor at the oscars they fucking better because like i i I genuinely that has come out in recent memory like everything everywhere all at once you know that has received such cultural praise such universal love from not just critics but audience goers people that have seen the film and has resonated with them in some way i think especially in this i don't want to say post-covid because we're still in the middle of a pandemic but i mean post-COVID in the sense of a society that is exists after a earth-shaking event. You know, a lot of people are struggling to find meaning in their lives, you know, picking mm-hmm. up the pieces, you know, after this global pandemic has really rocked a lot of people to their core. And I think the messages of the film really resonate with even the every the average every person. I remember talking with my mom who saw the film and she hated it, which is so disappointing to each Um, their own teach their own teach their own teach their own (laughs) like everyone has their own taste but the fact that like you hate a like it was really hard hearing someone say i hate the film because i couldn't stand the visuals yeah i can understand like if you're if you're someone that has a harder time processing fast-paced visuals that change like like as you said the quarter of a second that can be a bit of a turnoff of the film but if you're someone that also values art and enjoys good media criticism and dissecting deep pieces of movie literature, sometimes it's important to look past this stuff and, and you know, kind of understand what absurdism is in order yeah. to appreciate the film. And I think that kind of speaks to the way Western tastes are so conservative. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. think about the way... Think about... Like, and this is kind of, and I'm not, this is not, a, again, this is not me calling out my mom. I love my mom. She, it was, it, this is more of a, I love my mom. This is more of like a, uh, a case study. But think about the ways that like Western, like, like art critics, like, you know, like, let's say Ben Shapiro, who easy, easy, easy target. But, you know, his idea of good art is like classical music, Mozart and Bach and very regimented tastes that are, you know, um, Dian or Apollonesian to a point, you know, the very much yeah. the, like as Nietzsche put the Apollo instinct, regimented, simple, you know, easy. Whereas, you know, a queer or, you know, a non capitalist perspective might gravitate more towards films that are 
you know, absurdist, that are wild, that are crazy, that are full of color and light and are able to find the deeper meaning through all of the, you know, the, the pixie sticks and shit, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting to see the response to people, the difference between someone that has more, not necessarily conservative politically, but like conservative taste wise versus someone that has a more like anti-capitalist liberal, like liberal again, not political um, taste of yeah. media. Yeah. No, I do. I find that very interesting because uh, there there are many people who I've talked to who don't like this movie for the very same reasons. It goes too fast. They don't understand it. They don't get the concept of why they are multiverse jumping. It feels too sci-fi. It feels too real. It feels too not real. It's to each their own. Everybody has their own opinions on film and you're never going to have a film that absolutely everybody agrees on. Exactly. And that's okay. That's why there are so many films out there. That's why there are movies coming out left and right every single day. So yeah, to like I keep saying, to each their own. And then right. one more thing I do want to highlight before we do get into like the actual categories that we uh, have to cover today is... The fact that this movie has already won 261 awards. <laughs> yes. It, it, I have never seen a film capture that many awards before. I could very, I, it could be that I just don't know every film, but that is that is just shocking the amount because it's been in film festivals it's been all across the u.s international uh in almost every category you can think of um and what everybody is looking to now is okay these uh eight nominations that they received or 11 nominations they received for the oscars are they going to get it? I feel like they will. I feel like they I, could I think easily win in every majority, category. Majority. At least my goal. The only, I want them to see, I, I would walk away satisfied from the Academies, the Academy Awards this year, if it won best picture. And if mm-hmm. all the actors nominated in each category won the respective awards, especially yeah. Michelle Yeoh Oscars. Yeah. If you're listening the Academy, if you are listening to this goddamn podcast, <laughs> if you don't give Michelle Yeoh her fucking flowers, I will hunt each and every one of you down personally <laughs> and stick a googly eye on your forehead and make you walk around for 24 hours with it on. That's it. No real harm. It's humiliating. I just want to humiliate all of you. <laughs> Sorry. We just love mother. <laughs> but it's like you said... It's it's so incredible to see how not just widely repre- widely loved it is by critics and people, but to see it get such universal industry acclaim and mm-hmm. get all like sweep at like major awards like the Screenwriters oh, yeah. Guild or the the Screenwriters Guild of America awards or the Saturn Awards or the uh, fucking um, Golden Globes this past month. Seeing all that go down was incredible, and I mean. Like you and I have both said, we've talked to people that didn't like the film. But in my experience, for every one person that has said they don't like the film, at least five to ten people will say they love it. 
And the trend that I have noticed with people that really resonate with this film are people that have either struggled with mental health issues, um, like depression, like anxiety, um, like dissociative disorders, um, people that are queer, especially, or and trans, especially people that are queer and trans and non-binary that have experienced familial rejection. And Mm -hmm. especially um, if you have experienced generational trauma of any kind. And, you know, we're both white. You know, we can't speak to the experiences of, you know, Asian American immigrants in the United States. But, I mean, as someone that whose mother was orphaned at age 12, you know, having to deal with the generational consequences of that trauma, both my sister and I, and seeing the way that it has shaped both of our views, and then seeing the way religious and... Uh, emotional trauma has affected my father and the way that that has shaped my sister and I, especially as a queer person, it hits really hard and it hits home. So yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And yeah, no, we can't speak for the uh, Asian community. We can't speak for uh, any other community that uh, is represented within this film, except for the queer community. That is, that is where you and I, um, that that is this podcast that is, that is quite expertise. literally <laughs> that is our expertise uh, is in film politics and queer media. So queer representation in the film. Oh my god. Um, joy. Uh, first of all, I just love the name Joy that they chose for the movie. What a um, what a that has so much symbolism. Yes, exactly. It's such a such a specific decision. Do you want to expound upon why you think that the film's choice of naming her Joy is interesting? I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Are. So I the first time I watched it in theaters, I didn't think much about it, and then the second time watching it, I was like, oh wait, they 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 chose this name for a reason. And then third time, fourth time, um, I don't know what time I am on watching it, but. Um, specifically searching for joy. Evelyn is on a quest to search for joy. In the multiverse of madness. It, not at Marvel. Wait, mm-hmm. wait. It was a Marvel <laughs> reference, wasn't that? God damn it. <laughs> Capitalism wins once again. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> no, but but in the in the multiverse full of madness, not Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, different film, different multiverse different film. story. <laughs> yeah, you know, Evelyn is searching for joy, her not just her daughter, but to find literal elation and happiness and contentment with her life, with who she is, and ultimately the fact that nothing makes sense and nothing matters. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Joy's uh, relationship with her family is pretty rough. She does have a pretty good relationship with her father, Wayman, who love. is my favorite character. I absolutely I love him. I agree. He is he's just amazing. What a, um, what a, can I just say that Key did such a great job portraying Wayman, the earnestness. He the, really did. The, the joy, the, the, ugh, the resilience that his character has in the film is just so heartwarming. So heartwarming. And such a, just a loving person. And did such a good job bringing the screenplay to life. Just so good. Um, Joy's relationship with her mother is uh, one that 
needs a little work and a lot <laughs> a lot and um that uh, a lot of that stems from specifically the the mom's uh trauma from uh her past with her own uh father uh and how other people have portrayed her in life um now there's so much that could be said about joy but i like the connection between joy and wayman because joy portrays so much of wayman's personality and his style of just wanting people to be happy wanting everything to be perfect and finally like we we don't see joy in that manner but we know that she used to be that way she used to strive for that she used to be almost identical to her father in that way but due to the world bringing her down her mother not accepting her for being queer that is where then we bring in the whole um idea of jobu and which is her other self in the uh multiverse so right and i think when we look at the relationship between Evelyn and Joy, like you said, when she was younger, I mean, as seen in the clips, Joy used to be a very joyful child. You know, she was full of life. She was vibrant. She was close to their family. And in all the, when we get to the heart of the story, we learn that in the Alphaverse, which is where, you know, the Wayman that introduces the whole conflict of the film comes from, and where Jobu Tubaki comes from, we learn that in that multiverse, Evelyn was a renowned scientist, and she was the one that discovered the ability to transport or verse jump between the multiverses and temporarily link with the minds and abilities of other selves. And Joy, being her daughter, was the most talented. She pushed her to such extremes that it literally caused her mind to fracture. And that's how Jobu Tabaki was born. Jobu Tabaki was born out of negligence from a parent, from being from generational trauma, literally yeah. pushing yeah. her to break physically. And that's why Job, why Joy in the film is so depressed, not just in one multiverse, but across all the multiverses. Because in every single instance of existence and reality, Jobu and her mother, Jobu is never accepted or wanted by her mother. She's never good enough. So that's why she's on a quest to find the mother that, the, the, the version of Evelyn that was just simply not enough. That was simply the most mediocre, the most worst version of herself. And that's what the film centers on. The worst version of Evelyn. And her mm -hmm. homophobia, her excusing away, oh yeah, we can't explain that you have a girlfriend to your grandpa, he's too old. Or her own discomfort with Joy being gay. Her homophobia is a manifestation of her, of that version of Evelyn simply not being willing to grow and change. The fact that she still is held back by her own insecurities and trauma and not being willing to grow and accept. And I mean, and even joy calls that out, you know, she's like when, in, when Jobu first confronts joy, uh, Evelyn in the hallway, she says, wait, you're still hung up about this version of me being gay. That's, yeah. that's the evil you think of what? Like, yeah, it's so much worse than that. You really are hung up on that. <laughs> like she calls it out. <laughs> 
So what what I want to look at real quick is not the multiverse, but the single universe. Okay, the here and now. So where, yes, uh, Evelyn does not want to tell um, her father that Joy is gay. I spent quite a while dissecting this and, and trying to figure it out. And it a lot of it stems from Waymond being queer-coded as an oh. individual, as a character and as an individual. Um, Waymond does not live up to any of the quote-unquote gender norms. He breaks so many traditional gender norms. He's the one cooking. He's the one cleaning. He's the one um, that carries a um, purse. He carries a little fanny pack, but it's like his little purse. He's always the one that has um, anything you need. It's always going to be in that little fanny pack for you at a moment's notice to help. He is, he was never enough for Gong Gong, the grandfather, um, he was never enough. He was never accepted in uh, Gong Gong's eyes. And I feel like the reason why, or at least one of the main reasons why Evelyn has such a hard time telling Gong Gong about Joy's um, queerness is due to the fact that she's like, okay, I, I, I'll get this out of Joy's head and Joy will be able to be with a man and then finally there'll be a quote-unquote man in the relationship a man in the family because uh another issue in the movie is Wayman is struggling with the idea of filing for divorce um because Because he no longer feels joy he no longer like shit because Evelyn does Evelyn treats him like shit and um I think the queer codedness of Wayman specifically is a way um to show that it's not just homophobia coming from Evelyn. It's also Evelyn wanting to make up to her father any Mm -hmm. disappointments she might have caused. Right. So that's something that I kind of, I, I thought about and I've been reading up on is that idea of the queer coding of Wayman as a character. I thought that was really interesting. Thank you for bringing that perspective. I didn't I didn't really think of it the way that you, uh, that way until you brought that forward, but I can really see how a queer reading of the film from a, like a queer film perspective could place Wayman at this idea of being someone that is not gender conforming. And because that mm-hmm. he does not espouse to traditional, or we're going to assume Chinese masculine values, that he is a failure in her father's eyes. Yeah. Um, and I, I really appreciate that perspective. Um, I think the whole film kind of centering on this idea is very much about acceptance and reconciliation. Yeah. Like, even though it like throws so much at you, if you are someone that knows how to watch movies and is a good media literacy person, you're able to kind of wade your way through the absurdism, recognize it as an artistic technique and find the story in there and so much of the film's narrative like you said is about learning to be accepting of other people and to like in wayman's words be kind like for example evelyn like at the my second time watching the film 
the first time I cried at the par- I cried hardest at the car scene when they were in the parking lot in the um, the original universe where you know they have their Chinese uh, New Year party and you know Evelyn breaks a window and Joy storms out. She has a confrontation with her mom where she you know is like, I every time we're together we just hurt each other and it's not good for either of us. So why don't you just let me go? And then in the other multiverse where the combat's happening. She's about to like go into the bagel and, you know, unalive herself, which we'll get into mental health conversations later. But that scene made me cry because I understand what that's like to be a child of a generationally traumatized parent who puts that upon you. I know what that's like. Um, The second time I cried hardest at the Wayman scene when she realized that Wayman was the reason why everything makes sense and is good in her world because Mm -hmm. he is kind because he's fun because he's joyful and he's loving and she learns to accept her partner she learns to accept him for the way he is and learns to again in Evelyn's words fight like him and that's how she wins in the end is she learns to fight with kindness like Selena Gomez was right we need to kill him with kindness (laughs) she's a prophet (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was a quote way before Selena. But I know, but listen, I'm gay. I'm gay. I'm allowed. You are to quote really? Icons. Oh my I god! Know. No way. I had no idea. Kind of, kind of on that track. Like my favorite quote in the movie. Well, one of my favorite quotes in the movie. I have a lot of them, but um, the quote from Wayman saying, "The smallest decisions can compound into significant differences over time." He didn't say it in a serious tone. He was saying it really quick when they were running away. But taking that quote and bringing it into generational trauma of the smallest decisions that you make when you are raising your kids, the smallest decisions that you make when you are at the grocery store and you decide to smile at somebody, those small decisions make significant differences over a lifetime. So I think that is a good segue for us to get into generational trauma as a whole. Um, and we've already touched on it a little bit. So why, yeah. why don't you start us off in this category? Evelyn's homophobia is a symptom of not necessarily not necessarily the fact that she is a naturally homophobic person or an unaccepting person. I mean, she obviously has places to grow, but the fact that it is a a greater symptom of the generational trauma that her father put on her and that she has inherited from her past experiences. And I think when we read this film through a queer perspective, I think a lot of our real world issues can be chalked up to the values that we inherit and the trauma we inherit Um, when it comes to homophobia. I mean, it's not a homophobia and bigotry, anti-trans bigotry, anti and non-binary bigotry. That's, that's not naturally in us as people. That's something that we learn, that we are taught, that we inherit from our parents and our community members. And as a result, we project that onto other people. We close ourselves off and we, treat the world with you know unkindness and i think 
that is a very present factor in the queer reading of the film for sure is understanding how generational trauma fuels that you know yeah. homophobia and bigotry yeah i definitely think that those two categories uh, the two categories of generational trauma and um queerness and uh homophobia bigotry those all really tie together because so personally i have such a hard time with people saying that they're against the queer community they're against uh being gay and all of that because i just want to say let people be who they want to be let people live it's not your life why are you controlling other people's lives but the generational trauma aspect of it is it's kind of ingrained into their head this trauma that they repeatedly repeatedly have had over and over and over again for their whole entire life so it's not necessarily their fault it's not necessarily someone's individual fault if they don't accept the queer community it's it's a society as a whole and I feel like with generations changing and adapting and as our specifically our younger generation is uh growing and uh getting in places of power I feel like a lot of that is going to change going forward and I I think that that is uh one major thing that we saw in the film is how people are more accepting than you make them out to be Mm -hmm. so when gong gong um uh was finally told uh by evelyn that joy is gay he looked shocked joy and evelyn ran out of the building but gong gong held uh joy's girlfriend's hand and just repeated the word girlfriend and that was his way of accepting and you could see the the smile in his eyes the the joy that he himself was having in that very moment and it it really was every time every Uh. time that part gets me and I, i i i go back to that not everybody is as stuck up and as bigoted, bigoted, bigoted. Yeah. There, there's so many words. Words, um, <laughs> words are words are hard, guys. Um, but not everybody is as bigoted as you make them out to be. And oh, yeah. you have generations that are like, oh no, he's from another generation. He wouldn't understand. Maybe he would understand. Maybe they would understand. So yeah. it's. It's not your place to put a block on other generations learning. Does that make sense? It's yeah, not exactly. your place You're right. to be like, oh, they want they want to understand they're from another generation. They're too old. Because you don't know. You don't you know don't what's know. in their head. You've never, especially if you've never asked them or had conversations with them about it. Because like, I mean, because yeah, you get it. Because I mean... I don't know. I can't speak for your experience, but, you know, personally, I mean, growing up in a deeply Catholic household, uh, I've been told that before numerous (laughs) times when I was younger. 
And it wasn't fun. And I mean, you know, we've since learned and grown since that experience. And I, I, I want to give props to where it's due for the growth that, that my parents have made. And I'm really proud of them for that. But, you know, when we were still struggling and trying to figure that all out, you know, that was something that we I was told as a kid. And I'm sure a lot of queer and trans kids have been are being told nowadays because the idea that like, oh, it would break your grandparents' heart, the blah, 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 blah. What that really sounds like to me is you're just projecting your own grief that exactly. you don't get to have grandkids, mm-hmm. that you don't get to have the idea of your child being, you know, at a wedding like yours. But that's kind of, again, the whole point of the film, right? Is that, you know, Evelyn calls it out in her confrontation against Gong Gong is that she says, I will not put on joy what you have put inflicted on me. I yeah, will, the, I was afraid. The quote is, I will, I will no longer... I am no longer willing to do to my daughter what you did to me. Right. Because the whole film is, she says like, I was so afraid of joy being like me and aimless and a mess, but I can see that she's a mess and that's okay. And that's something I think more parents I wish did, especially when we look at our previous conversations about like episode two, when we talked about Marjorie Taylor green and people being afraid of having queer children. One of the things that we talked about was, how it is so imperative when you are a parent, especially a parent of a queer child, to put your needs aside and to listen and understand the needs of your child and how you can meet them where they are at. And exactly, I wish that more people... Because Evelyn's whole character arc in this film is that she learns to do that with Joy. She learns to listen to her daughter and meet her needs. And that's so important. And I wish... That's like that's a huge antidote to generational trauma, and I wish more people discussed that. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what what I love about the film is the incluso of it. So incluso means that it begin a, a film begins and ends basically in the same way, mm-hmm. and the very first shot is of Joy Wayman and Evelyn sitting on a couch watching TV together, laughing and smiling. That is only on screen for a couple seconds, and that's it. From there, it's all downhill until the very end when everything comes together again. Life is brought back to normality. Love is put back into place. They accept everyone. Everyone comes together. Um... And it's almost the same exact way of ending as it did in the beginning. And I absolutely love that. Um, Before we wrap up the episode, I I do want to talk real quick about mental health because you brought that up real quick. You brought that up briefly. um, And you you had several really good points about that. Do you want to go into that real quick? Yeah. I mean... Noah, I mean, actually, I'll I'll ask you about this because you know yeah. I, I, w- I don't want to be the only one encouraging being my <laughs> being vulnerable on here. You know, I want to encourage that from everyone. When you are faced with like conversations around mental health and yourself, you know, what has I mean your experience been like as you know as a queer person who potentially struggles with mental health issues? You know, what is what has that been like for you and how in what ways did you see that resonate with yourself in the film? Well, I never really connected my queerness with my uh, mental health 
issues. I never really connected the two um, because I've, I've known I've had anxiety and depression, God, for many years. I'm on Zoloft and um, I'm on a lot of Zoloft. Me too. And, <laughs> and um, I really, I don't like connecting the two categories personally because I don't have that connection between the two i have two very separate things i have i am part of the lgbtq community and i have i do have anxiety and depression and those have nothing to do with each other because my anxiety and depression don't stem from um my queerness so i personally i i saw the film then separated like that I saw the film separated in those categories because I saw it in the anxiety and depression that all of the characters um, have. And then I also saw and related to the queerness aspect of it as well that uh, Joy had. But then also, uh, we we didn't talk about it, but Evelyn in one of the other universes is actually queer. And, and it's dating, dating hot dog finger Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Iconic. And it's just, it's just the idea. I, I really loved that. I, I hated it because the hot dog fingers just make me so uncomfortable. But I love the idea of her being queer in another universe because she was able to put herself into the shoes of her daughter. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I kind of got off subject there with uh, mental health, but I I have never personally made a connection between my queerness and mental health. I do have I am queer, and I have mental health issues, and that's that's all there is to it. <laughs> interesting. That's an interesting perspective. Um, I think for me, it's interesting that you were able to see the film in different, like see those two as separate. I've personally experienced the film as those two things being very inextricably tied together. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me personally, like, I mean, like you, I've, I've struggled with, you know, an anxiety disorder my whole life. You know, I have clinical depression. It's not my favorite thing in the world. Um, Really? You don't love it? (laughs) No, crazy, right? No, I I don't, I, I have a habit of, Unlike the kids on TikTok, I don't romanticize my mental health issues for content. And that's on gay rights. Cheers. <laughs> Anyways, cheers. um, <laughs> cheers. I just ran out of water too. Um, but <laughs> with me, I, uh, one of the things that I look at when it comes to everything everywhere all at once is how so how specifically joy's character because of the rejection that she has faced across the multiverses and you know in the the prime we're going to say the prime universe that we the film takes place in mm-hmm. um that one you know a lot of it stems from not just oh i'm joy you know my mother doesn't accept and love me it also stems from the homophobia and rejection that she faces as a queer person and i get that i know what it's like to have relatives that do not accept you and that do not you know are conditionally loving of you or their love is less radical and less you know embracing because of your queerness and the fact that the film so through such an absurdist like it's like 
even like even though the film discusses like like shows so many different like absurd universes and throws everything at you all at once, you can see that Joy is not phased by any of it. And that's what having severe depression and wanting to unalive yourself feels like. Because yeah. no matter what is in front of you, when you are in that severe of a depressive episode, nothing matters. You like you just want everything to stop. You want everything to stop hurting. You want to make the pain go away. And you just want a sense of comfort and peace. And sometimes we think that the end-all solution is not the be-all solution. It's not the correct yeah. one. And as we see through the film, sometimes what it takes in those circumstances is to have someone who radically cares about you reach after you as you fall into the bagel and pull you out and embrace you. And we see that parallel in the fight scene where, you know, you know, Evelyn reaches in and pulls Joy from out of the depths of the everything bagel. And in Fell the car scene into where a bagel. A bagel. Um, I love that. Um, or in the car scene, the parking lot scene, where she pulls Joy out of the car and she embraces her and tells her that no matter what, in any multiverse of all the randomness, there's no person she'd rather be with than her daughter. And that, I lost my shit when I first watched the film seeing that because I think so many queer and trans and non-binary people today really need to hear that from their loved ones. Really radically especially especially in these times you know you got utah being the first state that league that makes gender affirming care under the age of 18 illegal and other states are following in suit you've got similar bills modeling the don't say gay bill in florida you got schools in the south and midwest in the bible belt banning books that talk about queerness and gender issues not just that but also race identity immigration other religions outside of you know christian values you know people need yeah. to be seen and the film shows a very clear not perfect but powerful antidote to mental health struggles by showing the power of being seen and being held yeah no i absolutely love that that is slay you you did a great job there slay thank um, you so thank so you. what 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 can we take away from everything everywhere all at once what what is your takeaway you go first. You, I've, I've spoken a lot. You can go first. Okay. My takeaway. My main takeaway is everything is meaningless. Yay. But that doesn't mean to live without purpose. So what what I really take away from it is the rock scene. So where, where Evelyn and Joy are rocks. Life can be extremely meaningless, such as you can be as dull as a rock, but they still live with a purpose. Yeah. They still incorporate Wayman in that with the googly eyes. So still living with purpose, no matter the feeling of the meaninglessness and the mundaneness of every single day. Yeah, so true. Very, very real, very real. 
I took a similar thing away from the film and kind of to expound on your ideas. I mean, let's think about considering Evelyn's relationships in the film and why they're so troubled is that she is focused, hyper fixated even on the things that don't matter. Like Mm -hmm. she's focused on like trying to please her dad when she knows that's not going to bring anyone any good. She's focused on trying to keep her business alive. And because she's so miserable, she's, spending all this money on hobbies and writing them off as business expenditures, sinking the laundromat into further debt and causing them to get audited. She's so fixated on the values of trying to appear like a good, you know, nuclear family, as it were, that she neglects and push, pushes, pushes, whoa, that's a new word, pushes, <laughs> pushes, you know, Joy's queerness and her feelings aside. And yet, in contrast to that, we have Waymond, who is so in tune with everyone around I him, who embraces the absurdity of life, puts googly eyes on everything, because that's what it takes to get through the day. Mm-hmm. What we can take away from that is when Evelyn starts embracing the weird and the absurdity of life and stops fixating on things like capital, social standing, you know, perception and starts caring about the things that matter to her and the things that matter to the people around them. That's when life has meaning. That's where we make the meaning out of life. In the absurdity and chaos of everything around us, we are still able to find purpose Mm -hmm. through the absurd because we choose to find meaning in the absurd. Because we find what we care about in all of the randomness. And even if that means sticking a googly eye on your forehead and fighting bad guys. Exactly. And there's so much more we could talk about the film. Like the fact that in the fight, the final fight scene, like the final fight scene, for example, the fact that she fights like Wayman and in each multiverse, she gives each of her assailants the thing that they need most desperately. Like she tells, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's character that she matters or, you know, she, you know, stands up to her father, giving their meeting people where they're at is also a mm-hmm. thing we could talk about, but we don't have time for that. There's we too could much. literally go on for We so could go long. on for hours. But we will end it here. Please remember to follow us on social media. All of the links are located down below. I love you, Alexander. I love you too, Noah. Catch you all next week.